seventh uh, talk in this series about how to pray. We'll have another um, next week and then a wrap-up. Uh, but uh, we're, we're closing, we're coming to the end. And again, we've been using the acronym PRAY. Pause, rejoice, ask, and yield. Pause, rejoice, ask, and yield. Last week, we started talking about the concept of yielding by talking about what you do with the so-called, quote, unanswered prayer. Because really, it's not unanswered prayer. I actually really detest that phrase. It's, it's a misnomer. It, 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 it's confusing. It is, it is not accurate. It's typically unanswered prayer. It's just prayer that's been answered in ways that we didn't want. And so we put it in a category called unanswered prayer. But just because God chose to do something in my circumstance that was contrary to what I wanted doesn't mean he didn't answer. He just means that he knows better. And, and so, so we talked about how do you process that. And, and if you didn't hear it, I would encourage you to, because I do believe that unless you uh, have a strong theology of what you do with disappointment and prayer, it will rob you of your energy to have a vibrant, passionate, energetic prayer life over time. And this morning, we're going to talk about another aspect of yield. So in order to yield, so I pause, I rejoice, I ask, and then yielding invites me to create space that if the Holy Spirit wants to, he can invite me to become at least part of the answer to my prayer. And so that requires that I create space to actually take time to listen to the voice of the Spirit. One of the ways all throughout the very beginning of Christian spirituality that faithful men and women who follow Jesus and serve Jesus and serve the church and serve the world have recognized the value of a particular type of prayer that we would call contemplative prayer. Contemplative prayer. So our big idea this morning is that we will increase our relational awareness of the living Christ as we practice contemplative prayer and listening to the Spirit. Now that big idea is very important because I am not just talking this morning about how to practice contemplative prayer and listening to the Spirit. What I'm actually talking about is how to increase your relational awareness of the living Christ. It's just that two of the means through which I've seen the Spirit use in my life, and as you read the history of Christian spirituality and you talk to other people, two of the means through which God works in us to increase our relational awareness of the living Christ is through the practices of both contemplative prayer and listening to the Spirit. I put them together because even though it sounds like two different activities, it's actually one and the same. So this prayer that we're going to talk about this morning is different from intercession, and it's different from, from petition. It's even different from worship because what I hope that you will, over the next three months, six months, and 12 months, discover is that you are much more comfortable with using silence as a proactive way of praying. So another way that people have referred to contemplative prayer is to call it the prayer of silence. It is about not just simply not doing anything, but actually proactively engaging in a, in a, um, in a um, space that you've created to actually proactively engage in silence. Most of us tend to shy away from silence. I just got severely rebuked this morning, uh, overwhelmingly so. I, I, I repented this morning because I, the Lord rebuked me via my iPhone. And uh, I don't know what I've done in the settings or whatever, but the iPhone alerted me this morning that I spent an average of five days looking at my, five hours a day looking at my screen last week. 
Well, all, all, what has happened is we are used to being distracted and amused all the time. When was the last time you were bored in a line? Probably some time back. We don't have to be bored waiting anymore because we can amuse ourselves. Well, this is about learning how to create a rhythm of life. I'm not saying come burn your cell phones or anything like that. This is, this is a way of discovering, though, a healthier rhythm of life where we proactively press into the beauty of silence as a spiritual practice. Uh, my text this morning that I want us to look like, although we'll look at a handful of scriptures, what I really want us to look at, and I'm using the NIV uh, translation this morning, is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, uh, Paul says something very pretty remarkable. He says, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes, comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, you might have a translation that says, instead of saying, contemplating the Lord's glory, it might say, beholding the Lord's glory as though in a mirror, uh, might be one translation of it. But all of it is this idea of having sustained time in which I'm thoughtfully processing the beauty and the glory of the Lord. Now, now look at this for just a minute. What Paul connects together is he says, personal transformation and personal contemplation are intimately connected to one another. In fact, you could, if we were taking the contrast of this verse, we would say that trans, being transformed in his image is hindered when we don't take time with unveiled faces to contemplate the Lord's glory. So it's very important that if I want to grow into personal Christian spirit-empowered transformation, that part of that process, I need to be aware of the tools that the Spirit has ordained to bring about that transformation in my life. And one of the gifts that he's given us to help bring about that transformation is the gift of contemplation. If you look at dictionary.com, con to contemplate simply means to look at or view with continued attention, observe or study thoughtfully, to consider thoroughly, think fully, or to think deeply about. In other words, con contemplative prayer is the prayer of deep reflection and thoughtful listening. Contemplative prayer is the prayer of deep reflection and thoughtful listening. So contemplative as a noun could be, describe the prayer that you're praying, but what you might find is that many people have been called or understood a part of their spiritual identity or their spiritual vocation to be contemplatives. In other words, we are contemplatives because we're constantly in this state as we grow and mature in our faith where we are becoming more and more aware of the presence of God and the voice of the Spirit in every circumstance and situation in which we find ourselves. Now, if we grow into this, then you have to understand that we, we know that in Christ is all, is the sum of all wisdom and knowledge. So that means the very source of wisdom itself is animating your life. The very source of wisdom personified dwells within your heart. The question is, are we growing in our skillfulness of learning how to listen and respond? And one of the ways we train ourselves is through the practice of contemplative prayer. One author said this, contemplation is a mysterious gaze of faith fixed on Christ. And what's amazing about that passage we just read is that really what Paul is contrasting is the two covenants. 
Under the old covenant, Moses would commune with God and the glory of God would be transferred to him in a sense so that the Israelites couldn't look on his face. And so he wore a veil to cover them, to protect them from the Lord's glory. So the point of what the contrast Paul's making is the difference in the spirituality of the old covenant and the spirituality of the new covenant. Because in the new covenant, it's not just Moses that's, that contemplates the presence of the Lord. It's all of us. And because of Christ, we don't need a veil to protect us from that glory. That veil has been removed in Christ so that we can draw near and behold the glory of the Lord, not just through the institution of leadership or through a particular leader itself, but you all have now become a nation of priests to God. So we are all invited into that intimacy of relationship to behold the beauty and the glory of God. And what Paul says is, as we contemplate the Lord's glory, we are transformed into his image. Look, with ever-increasing glory. I think some translation says from one degree to another. That is incredibly encouraging to me. It means that it, you can start anywhere because the whole, the whole point is a journey that will take all of your life. As long as we're living, this journey should be one of movement and we should be being transformed into the image of Christ just a little bit at a time every single day, every moment of every single day. So it's this progression of transformation into the image of Christ. Contemplative prayer prepares us for active listening to God and to others. And that's what's truly remarkable is once you learn to sit in silence and listen to the Spirit, you will then be able to transfer those skills to sitting in front of another person or your partner and actually practice listening rather than defending and uh, retorting to whatever it is that they're being said. And it will transform your life to sit and behold the holiness of another person by actually listening to what they're saying that will increase, and it increases the space in which you can be led by the Spirit to interact in those discussions rather than just being led by the impulse of emotion or frustration or irritation. So contemplative prayer prepares us for active listening to God and to others. So what I want to do with the rest of our time, when we end, we'll end in just a moment with uh, steps to how to practice contemplative prayer. But in the meantime, what I want us to do is I want us to talk about if we are going to become contemplatives, then we have to ask ourselves, what are the ways through which God communicates to us? Now, there's not a chapter and verse that says these are the seven ways that the Spirit communicates, and those, these seven are the only seven. So I'm not pretending like this is exhaustive. I'm just, I'm just saying that these are common ways that we may experience the Spirit actually speaking to us and guiding our lives. So uh, let's take a look at what the Bible has to say about those. We'll start with John 10, 27. John 10, 27. It simply says this, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Three statements. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. These all come together from the same sentence. And what I want you to see in that is this. If I never learn to hear his voice, I will have a very difficult time faithfully following him. So part of faithful discipleship is about cultivating the kind of a relational awareness that empowers me to hear the voice of the shepherd. This is a conversation 
that I am more than happy to sit individually and talk more about if I need to, because I don't want to be misunderstood. I have made my entire life's vocation, which honestly is, extends beyond my vocation. It also, it also extends to who I am both on and off the clock. So in some way, I've made it a preoccupation of my life to honor, to follow, and to understand this beautiful book that we call the Holy Bible. I believe in the power of the scripture. I have seen it work transformation in my own life and the lives of those around me. I think about its importance as our guide to the practice of our faith and to giving us direction and wisdom for our life. But evangelicals are a funny bunch because we really rightly elevate the beauty and the authority of the scripture. But my concern is too many of us have replaced it as part of the Trinity. And so, although the historic creeds would say the Father exists as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, many of us have replaced that with the Trinity as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible. Now, again, I want to be cautious here and not be misunderstood. I'm not belittling the Bible, but here's what's interesting. The Bible itself, although it speaks in, in uh, honoring ways about its own influence and authority, and in fact, we'll look at one of those passages in just a few minutes, Primarily, what the New Testament scriptures point us to is that the primary guide for faithful following, uh, faithful followers of Jesus is the Holy Spirit. It's even what Jesus said. So the Bible itself points to the Spirit as our primary guide and authority. So if I say that I honor the Bible, but I don't have a lifestyle of listening to the Spirit, I'm actually demeaning the authority of the Bible. Because the Bible itself never presents itself as a replacement for following the leading of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not saying instead of. I'm not like those crazy cults that say, forget the scriptures and just follow our intuition and impulses. That's not what I'm saying. Being grounded in the scripture helps us discern what we're hearing. It helps us understand what we're hearing. It helps us provide context for what the spirit may be leading us because I am certainly convinced the spirit doesn't lead us to disobey or contradict the scriptures. So the scriptures are very important, but we have to understand for, for, the, for much of Christian history, believers in Jesus by and large weren't even literate, much less had access to the scriptures in their own language. So does that mean God wasn't leading during all of those thousands of years? I don't think so. I think the history of the church proves that it did not hinder the work of God and the manifestation of the kingdom of God through the people of God, even though they didn't have access to scriptures or they may have been illiterate. Now, we live in a glorious time. We have not just access to the Bible in our own language, but you can get it from a 12th down to a fourth grade reading level if you want to. And I like the elementary reading level Bibles. I, I, in fact, the older I get, the more I read those over the other ones. Uh, and so I appreciate that. But even that, that is intended to lead us to Jesus. Remember the Emmaus Road? Their hearts burned, not simply because he was going over the scripture with them, but because he was showing them how the scriptures testified to himself. And you remember what Jesus said to the Pharisees? You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have life. But 
you won't come to me to have life. And so the scriptures are important, but they're intended not to be the end in themselves, but to springboard us before the presence of the living Christ and be pointed to Jesus. Does that make sense? I, I didn't want to belabor the point, but I don't want to be misunderstood that I, I don't value the Bible because I certainly do. So what are the means through which God often communicates us? Well, point number one is we hear God in the Bible. We hear God in dreams and visions. Don't worry, if you're not a charismatic Pentecostal, don't leave yet. Wait till we get through the section. We hear God in counsel and common sense. We hear God in personal reflection, and we hear God in action. We hear God in the Bible, in dreams and visions, in counsel and common sense, in personal reflection, and in action. So first of all, let's take the, the, the first one, hearing God in the Bible. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects, corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Now, what's interesting when Paul's writing this, we have to remember that the canon of the New Testament had not been officially codified yet. That won't happen for a little more than 200 years after he writes this. So what Paul is specifically writing about when he talks about the value of the Scripture is he's talking about the Old Testament, the Jewish Old Testament canon. That's what he's referring to when he says this. And so he says that it's profitable. It will lead us. It will guide us. It will correct us. It will equip us for the work that God has called us to. While learning about God from the Bible requires study, listening to God through the Bible requires prayerful attention. While learning about God, uh, while learning about God from the Bible requires study, listening to God through the Bible requires prayerful meditation. So we learn to move from just reading through the Bible to praying through the Bible. And that is as simple as I still use my New Living Translation one-year Bible. It breaks up my daily readings according to date. And it breaks them up from some reading of the Old Testament, from Psalms, from Proverbs, and some readings from the New Testament. Oftentimes, when I read through that, I, I can be distracted. I can be unmoved. I wouldn't say that I open my daily bread and have epiphanies every single day. But more often than not, there is at least a moment where I pull out my pen or my highlighter because there's a phrase or an idea that just leaps off the page to me for some reason. There's just a little energy on it, a little, little inspiration on it. Have you guys ever had that experience where you listen, you read the scriptures and you see just this, I don't know, some, for some reason you just want to highlight that or you just want to underline it. Um, oftentimes what I do is I go back and look at those markings and I use that as my prayer list. So if for whatever reason, even reasons I don't understand, some particular phrase or word or concept from my Bible reading, it speaks to me, it then becomes part of my prayer list as soon as I finish reading. Or you can literally, in fact, I'm going to get some of these books in. Tom Bishop wrote a handful of books where he models for us how we just read the scripture and then immediately take that paragraph and turn it into our prayer. So, so we take time to not just read, but we're really praying through the Scripture. Uh, we don't, I had to limit my time and how I talked about the various resources that we have at our disposal. But if you use the Google and look up Lexio Divina, I don't know if you're familiar with Lexio Divina. Uh, I have 
I have done, I have practiced Lexio Divina in groups like this on a Sunday night. I have practiced Lexio Divina, Divina, <laughs> Divina, uh, it just means divine reading. I have practiced it with junior high students in sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. I have practiced sessions of Lexio Divina with high school students from freshmen to uh, seniors. I have seen on Facebook kid, uh, students that were in our youth ministry uh, 10 years ago, five to 10 years ago, still make posts about insights that the Lord brought to them during their times of Lexio Divina. It's just divine reading. It's pretty much what I talked about before. It's reading the Bible slower, more slowly, taking smaller chunks of it, and really prayerfully reflecting on it. This has been a discipline that's been used in monasteries for centuries. And unfortunately, the evangelical world is not as familiar with it as other streams of Christianity, but, but we, we engage in that Lexio Divina. And we learn how to personalize the scripture. Again, it's his story, their story, our story. But even though my story is not the most significant part of the Bible, it's still part of the, my discipline in reading the Bible. So we take time to personalize scripture. A great example of this is this is what Jesus is doing. When he's at his worst crisis moment, he's hanging on the cross, and he cries out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's just not being spontaneous. He's actually quoting from a psalm that he had probably used and learned in times of non-crisis. And then he personalizes it, and that becomes the prayer that he breathes when he's at his most dire and critical moment. So we take time to hear God through the Bible. Secondly, we hear God in dreams and visions. Now, obviously, I want to ex express some caution in this, but I do think it's a relevant um, reality that the Bible testifies, to which the Bible testifies, and we need to take it seriously. Look, remember what Peter says in Acts 2.17, and he's actually quoting from the Old Covenant Scriptures because he's quoting the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. I will, in the last days, I will pour out my Spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. This is talking about the last days. This is talking about the transition of the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. He's not talking about 2021. He's talking about Acts chapter 1. Th this is the last days. And so um, he's talking about that transition where the last days of the old covenant will fade away and the new time of the new covenant would come. And that would be different because it would be marked by accessibility of God's spirit to everyone. In fact, what the prophet said is that during that time, the laws won't be external, but the law will be written on our hearts. And during that time, God's going to take away the heart of stone give to us a beating heart of flesh so we're responsibly being led by the voice of God by the by the truth of God by the wisdom of God internally not simply externally and so the New Testament talks about this thing and it says that there will be dreams and that there will be visions what I'm talking about is I'm talking about learning to be comfortable with your spirit empowered inner lucidity the reason, one of the reasons why we have to understand how to read the scriptures in context is, is one of the things that's popular to say, people will quote it reactionary, they'll say the heart is desperately wicked and who can trust it or something like that. It, it, it is a scripture they're quoting from the prophet Jeremiah. But when Jeremiah says that, he's talking from the perspective of the old covenant, not the new covenant. When God removed that heart of stone 
and replaced it with a heart of flesh, he gave you a heart you could trust because he chose to put himself there. And so, and so we have to learn and to understand that we've got to become more responsive to the way the Spirit's using things like intuition and our own inner lucidity in order to bring about real-time direction to our lives. So I'm talking about intuition or insider conscience. You may not be comfortable with the term dreams and visions or prophecies or prophetic. That's fine. You don't have to use that language. I'm just talking about an intuition, a sense, a feeling, a nagging thought that won't go away. For me, the voice of the Spirit and just a generic impression, this is all coming from the same realm that I'm talking about. And, 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 and these are the ways in which the Spirit speaks and leads and guides us. But he also gives us dreams and visions. I, I mean, I, I went back and forth on this, um, but I guess I've already been, I've exposed enough of my weirdoness to you during this um, series anyway. But just a few weeks ago, uh, I had a dream. And in the dream, uh, Dwayne Johnson came to my house. And we were there for a, um, a barbecue. And he was sitting on my couch, and we went outside to the back porch, and we were talking, and he starts turning serious, and he starts, like, telling me things about my life and, and encouraging me in certain areas of leadership. And then it ended with him making jokes about his new tequila, Terramana, uh, that's coming out. So I woke up thought, huh, that's funny. Dwayne Johnson came over and promoted his new tequila in my home. By the time I got up, did my routine, and started making the coffee, another thought came, which was of a video of a speech that Dwayne Johnson gave that I had saved over a year ago in my uh, YouTube playlist and never got around to watching it. So I just had the thought, I think I'll go up and, I think I'll go back and pull that up, and I did. And I played it up, I listened to it, and I'm not saying that it altered my life, but I am saying it spoke wisdom directly into my circumstance and situation in the moment. Now. Could that have just been a bad piece of pepperoni on my pizza the night before? Of course it could have been. I have no guarantee. After all, we walk by faith and not by sight, so there's not guarantees in this thing. However, for me, I said, thank you, God, because I really felt that was a way for God to get through my stubborn procrastination of 12 months and at the right time and the right moment speak to me. A little more seriously, a few weeks ago, uh, I was praying about both mine and the church's involvement in a neglected and overlooked part of our population that's on the outskirts, that's on the fringes. And um, it would be costly, uh, some of the things that I was thinking. It might cost us reputation. It might cost us time and resources. And so I really, well, my point is there were good rational arguments from not necessarily being involved at the level that I was thinking about. Um, and so I was uncertain, prayed about it, let it go. I had a dream where I was in a diner. A lot of my dreams revolve around diners and barbecues. I don't know why. But uh, I was in a diner, and it had an old jukebox, and someone went and played a song in the jukebox. But the problem was that the jukebox was broken. So they played the song, but it only went to one section of the song, and then it got stuck on this one bridge of the song that kept playing over and over and over in the diner. So much so that it was just, it filled my mind and my thoughts. When I woke up, I woke up irritated because I couldn't get this song out of my head. And uh, then 
I had the insight to stop and pause and reflect and see if there may be in, anything in it, which really wasn't difficult. I was praying about this involvement in this part of the population, and the song that was playing in the jukebox was uh, Under Pressure by Queen and David Bowie. And it was stuck on one part that said, um, love's such an old-fashioned word, and love dares us to care for the people on the edge of night. Over and over and over and over. Now again, you might think that was a bad hot dog or old Hormel chili, and I would say you have just as so much authority to make that hypothesis as I do to have mine. It may be what it was. But for me, that all aligned quickly. I just began to weep because I knew God was saying, yes, it might be costly, it might be challenging, it might be difficult, but this is what love compels you to do, is to care for the people who are living on the edge of night. And so, so both of those came out of dreams completely unexpected. Though that's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about like it's weird, like you're going to go get a loincloth and paint yourself and go out and starve yourself for seven days in the desert until the heaven opens up and you see a vision. Look, if that happens for you, more power to you. Great. But I'm just trying to help you to see how subtle and practical and how often you've probably already experienced these kinds of intuitions. It's just that maybe you haven't thought to really explore them like you should. So he speaks to us. We hear God in, in the Bible. We hear God in dreams and in visions. And we hear God in counsel and common sense. Proverbs 12, 15. The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. And what I'm talking about here is sometimes this happens just in the context of conversations. I, when I look at my schedule, I typically don't look at it till the night before or the early morning of and to see what Ruby has lined out for me. Um, and I look, and I look at these spots where these meetings or appointments or counseling or conversations that I have, I've become more and more uh, intrigued by just when the Spirit's going to drop something from that conversation into my heart. So I'll look around the room, and I see lots of people who are my teachers. One of the most recent examples, probably Josh Coates. Uh, we got to meeting together, and we thought, hey, let's read a book together. We start reading this book together, and I got insights in reading the book. The Lord has spoken to me in reading the book. But really, it doesn't—things come to the surface and become solidified when I have the conversation with Josh about the chapter that we just read. And then he's bringing things that he's saying, and he's saying these things, and I'm taking them to my heart. It's amazing the way the Spirit's leading us through just simple conversations with our friends. And you just never know when that opportunity is going to happen. Doug and I just experienced that this morning. We had a moment that was unique. I don't think, I can't think of the last time that it was only Doug and I at the elders' prayer meeting. It's been ages, if it's ever happened. So we took that hour to simply have a conversation. By the end of it, we, we ended the conversation in spontaneous prayer because it was clear that the Lord was leading, that the Lord was speaking. Now, I don't think either of us anticipated that at 7 o'clock this morning, but from the conversation that started at 8 until 9 o'clock, that transformation took place. So we hear God in the conversations with friends, or I would suggest that you seek out a mentor or a counselor that can just sit and have a hot beverage and you can process your life with. We all need someone who's a little further down the road in us to speak wisdom to us. 
So we hear God in the Bible, we hear God in dreams and visions, we hear God in counsel and common sense, and we hear God in personal reflection. I think that this is one of the most simple and overlooked practices that we can give ourselves over to. I love these words, and this is not the only time it mentions this about Mary, but this is after, I believe, a Simon has made his prophecy, uh, and maybe Anna as well, in the temple as they were waiting for the Messiah, and they brought the infant Jesus, and they speak words of a prophetic encouragement over him. And then it ends with, in Luke in chapter 2, verse 19, it says that, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. I'm going to suggest something to you that might be crazy. Because if you're a good evangelical and you're trying to discern God's will, uh, number one, you've been taught that that's hard to do. You've been taught that it's very mysterious, that there is a plan A, but if you miss it, then you can be regulated to a life of God's permissible will, but know always if you've missed his perfect will. You've ever had that landed on you. And, and that, like, there's this blueprint. There's only one way for your life to go, only one person for you to marry. And the trick is to try to figure out and strong-arm God to give you enough clues so that you can live according to that blueprint. I just don't think that that's true. And I think it's created a whole generation of evangelicals that are way, have way more faith in being deceived than they have in being led. When I don't think that should be the posture of our heart. We should have more faith in the leading of the Spirit and trust that when we're uncertain, that God is kind and good enough to let us know. And so, and so uh, um, I, I think that because of that, you'll ask these questions. Have you ever asked this question I had to ask of you? I just don't know. Is this my voice? Is it God's voice? Is the devil, or is it the devil's voice? You ever heard some kind of like that, 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 that trifecta of dilemma of hearing God? Here's what's interesting about that. We put the enemy's voice and our voice on par with God's voice in that concern. That seems like that's off to me. It, it seems a little inappropriate there. That maybe God actually might be more powerful than the enemy and even ourselves. And he might actually be able to speak correction into our lives if we are just coming up with our own thoughts or we're being deceived by the enemy. I think that we have to have more trust. And here's the thing. I think because in the evangelical world, the, the, our conversion is centered around external experiences like saying the sinner's prayer or walking forward or being baptized, which again, I'm for all of those things. I'm not against them. But there's too little education that really what's taking place is all of that is is a physical manifestation of an internal reality. That salvation doesn't happen through external division, decisions. It happens because the Spirit is transforming our life and our heart. And the goal of the Bible isn't for us to become good Christians. It's for us to live from this mysterious revelation that had been hidden from the ages, but now had, has been revealed, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I am going to suggest that the reason why we have a hard time uh, discerning the voice of the Spirit is because we're too familiar with it. That God speaks to us in the quietness of our souls and in the randomness of our thoughts so often that we become familiar and we don't recognize it as divine. 
because we just kind of pack it in there with all the rest of the stream of consciousness that's going through our heads. But if God is alive and lives on the inside, it would make sense that he's speaking to us from the inside out. Perhaps it's just simply best to pray, Lord, open my ears to hear your voice and then stop trying so hard. So in that endeavor, what inspires you to ponder? Hopefully for some of us, it's being here in a sacred gathering where we worship and we pray and we have communion, we meditate on scriptures. Certainly, I hope that's it. But my guess is most of us here have other places where we may even ponder more naturally. Maybe it's sitting with a rifle in your hands out in the woods in the early morning or late into the evening. Maybe it's by a pond. Maybe it's in a library. But all of you have places where you most naturally create time to think. I was talking to a friend of mine this week, and he was talking about deer season, deer hunting, and how he realized, although he always gets one, he made sure that I knew that, uh, that for him it's really not about the trophy anymore, but the moments. His life is so chaotic that the only time he has that he takes to reflect and it's when he's out there at four in the morning by himself out in the woods being absorbed in all of the nature that's around him. I say more power to you. That, that's not hunting. That's called worship. That's what that is. Now, it may happen in the context of hunting, but what's taking place is worship. And so what is it about where, where are you? What's taking place? What are the surrounding? What are the sounds? What causes you to actually start paying attention to your thoughts? For whatever reason, press into that activity. And if you're still uncertain, ask two questions. Is this like Jesus? If the answer is yes, then have an open heart. And the second question is, what's the worst that could happen if I get this wrong? Most of us don't do anything because we have hypothetical situations that part of our brain knows will never take place. But we'll use those hypotheticals as excuses for inaction. So you've got to take time and say, really, what's the, what's the worst that's going to take place if I go back and apologize to my wife? Is it like Jesus? I think so, although he was never married. So lots of, a little bit more challenging for me than him sometimes, I think. But... Um, but he was, he was tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. So, yeah, I think it's like Jesus to humble yourself. What's the worst that could happen? Oh, my ego could take a blow. Is that really so bad? Well, no. Well, so, then, so then I don't have to worry about, is this me? Is this my guilt? Is this, forget, forget those questions. It's like Jesus, and nothing, no harm is going to come from it. So why not act on it? So, so you can always ask those two safety questions of yourself. So we hear God in the Bible. We hear God in dreams and visions. We hear God in counsel and common sense. We hear God in personal reflection. And finally, we hear God in action. Luke eleven twenty eight. he replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Again, John 15, 14, Jesus says, You are my friends if you do what I command. I save the best for last. This is the one that I'm least comfortable with. Because what I'm suggesting is, is that there's a direct link between ongoing revelation and obedience. At some point, it just makes sense that if I refuse to follow the leading of the Spirit, at some point, I can't get past that instruction that I'm refusing to do. I come, it's like a cul-de-sac. I come right back to that place of obedience. 
I want steps seven, eight, and nine that are much more glorious than steps one, two, and three. And yet the Spirit just keeps bringing me back to steps one, two, and three. So there is a link between ongoing revelation and my obedience. If I want to continue to grow in hearing the voice of the Spirit, I must yield to what God is telling me to do. Ultimately, we learn to hear as we go and as we follow through on our obedience. We want the blueprint, right? Well, I'm suggesting to you that that blueprint in heaven doesn't exist. And what the Spirit is about, the Spirit is not... The Spirit's priorities are not to give you directions that will just make your life perpetually easier. That's not his goal. The Spirit's primary goal is to lead you to be conformed to the image of Christ. And he doesn't do that by showing us the whole plan. He shows us today's obedience. Remember when we pray, give us this day our daily bread? I do think it has application to our physical needs, but I think beyond that, what I've come to understand is spiritually, I need that spiritual daily nourishment. What are, what are the marching orders for the day, Lord? What, what do I need to be watching for? I, I was prompted the other day to write myself, uh, for, for 7 a.m. Artie, to write 10 p.m. Artie a text. So 7 a.m. Artie opened up the text and sent a text to 10 p.m. Artie. And in that text, I said, here's what we did today with the Lord's help and listed about three things. At 10 o'clock that night, I'd actually forgotten about it. I opened it up, but sure enough, there was something about that interaction of acknowledging, okay, the Lord is setting an agenda today. All three of those things happened, and they happened in ways that were incredibly encouraging to me, and I hope to others. That's what the Spirit does. He will give you today's leading. He will give you today's guidance. Sometimes you'll be at an impasse with your children. In all your books, don't hold the key to your child's heart in that moment, but the Spirit does. And I don't want to belabor these illustrations, but it was profound for me the day that the Spirit stopped me in the hallway while in anger I was walking into my daughter's bedroom to really lay down the hammer, and I was just frozen in the hallway, and the Spirit spoke to me about an insight and a way of handling this that was exactly the opposite of what I was doing. And I didn't want to do it. I didn't feel like, oh, the Lord touched me. Oh, he touched me. And I went in floating like a saint. I was still angry. But I did it anyway. And in the moment, the presence of the Lord was in that bedroom. And we were both altered. We were both changed. We both began to weep. I did not anticipate that gift being hidden from me in the frustrating decisions that my daughter was making. But there it was nonetheless was right there as beautiful as it could be, as beautiful as any experience I've ever had in any church service. That comes from being present to the Lord and learning how to create a rhythm where your mind is open to responding. Now, as the worship team comes forward, I'm going to ask you all to stand, and we're just going to walk through very quickly what it might look like for you to practice contemplative prayer. So number one, find a quiet place place that's free from noise or interruption, and I am asking you to just start your discipline with five minutes. If that means for the next three weeks you just set a five-minute timer on your alarm and wait for it to go off, that's a fine place to start. That's exactly where I started. Um, airplane mode your phone, but by all means, 
play your, your alarm. So I'm suggesting that you eventually make it a goal to work up from five minutes maybe to half an hour. Find a quiet place. Sit in a comfortable position because your goal is to be comfortable but not fall asleep, which if you're too comfortable, I assure you, you will do. And then close your eyes, take a deep breath, and just listen to your heart for a minute. If you've just finished your Bible reading, you might choose a sacred word or a phrase. Stick with it during your practice. So maybe I decided to engage in Lexio Divina, and I read Psalm 139. And in reading Psalm 139, with all of those beautiful tr truths that are declared in that psalm, for some reason, let's say this morning, the Spirit highlights and just jumps off the page to me the phrase, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Well, if that's the case, and I'm going to sit quietly, I'm just going to ponder that. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm just going to toss that phrase, that idea around in my head and just wait of what thoughts may come to my mind. If I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, it means that you were mindful of my origins. You were mindful of bringing me forth into this world. And I will be honest, most of my life I have despised what you have made. Now, as I reflect upon it, I think I just picked that up from the world around me. And so, in many ways, throughout this 48 years, I have belittled the value of who you've made me to be. And that belittling has opened the door for me to make choices and to go down paths that have left me wounded and broken. And so... In this moment, I'm asking you to bring healing to the broken parts of my soul and bring me back to this place where I honor you as my creator and that mindfulness has caused me to be fearfully and wonderfully made. And then I'm going to just stop and just celebrate the moment of that insight, just in silence. Thank you, God. Thank you. Empower me to really allow this truth to become an incarnation of who I am so that in my healing, I will be equipped to bring healing to others then I always like to check that timer and make sure I've got five minutes to just sit here. We won't take five minutes this morning, but be completely quiet. Let that silence wash over me. And then I end that time by simply saying, is there anything you want to say to me, Lord? Maybe it's nothing. Maybe it's a reiteration of the sacred phrase that I was thinking about. Or maybe... It's an insight to pursue an action of ministry that I hadn't even thought about before this moment. But space has been created for me to listen to what the Spirit has to say. And then the real beauty of it is, if you do this as a habitual practice, 
you will carry that spirit with you when you leave. So that then, when I have coffee with my friend Mike, it's not just the circumstances surrounding me, it's not just the friendship that's going on, but there's this openness to hear what the Spirit is saying or maybe leading me to say as we interact with one another. Friendship, intimacy, community, transformation. My friends, this is how it works in real time. So it begins with our discipline of contemplative prayer. On the night that our Lord was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. So this is my body given for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. He then poured the wine and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant shed for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink in remembrance of me.